invited us to hear. Uh, Ethan and Abby did a great job this morning with the welcome, uh, and just really thankful for folks that jump up and, and, and are willing to serve in different ways. Uh, I know some of you guys um, who are uh, who served in, in core teams last week, we had a special time. Uh, some of you saw this on our Instagram or social media or whatever, um, TikTok maybe, I'm not sure, did, uh, it, did it make it to my TikTok? Um, I don't have TikTok, that's a joke. Um, the, uh, but made it, it on those places that our core team got to have an afternoon uh, where we shared lunch and just spent some time praying over the new facility uh, out um, on Casey Lane. And so that was a great time. We have a, a date. I don't, I don't think we landed on a date. It's going to be after Easter uh, that we'll have a date for the whole church. So everybody will get to go out there uh, in an afternoon and we'll just let everybody just kind of hang out and walk around and we'll have um, some prayer time and maybe some worship and whatnot on on an evening uh, here after Easter. So that was a great night, uh, just a great time last week. We look forward to some uh, another great time in the future and then look forward to uh, weekly having a great time as we gather together uh, at uh, the new building off of Casey Lane. So, uh, But I want to I say thank you for the, uh, to the team that was out there and to those who pulled that off last week and uh, made that happen for our core team. John chapter 18 is where we are. Uh, this morning, and before we get to the passage, just a reminder, we're in the middle of our, our Easter series uh, called The Jesus Way, where we're working through these last seven chapters of the, of the Gospel of John and exploring Jesus' works and his words, uh, what he said and what he did in these final days of his life and, 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 and kind of leading up to Easter. And, and the, the, the phrase or the, the, the title of the series, The Jesus Way, comes from John chapter 14, where Jesus responding to Thomas and asking Hey, we don't know the way, how, how do, we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way? Jesus responds, and he says in 14, verse 6, it says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this, this week and the previous weeks and, and leading up to, or on Easter, and then the week after Easter as we kind of work through all of these chapters, uh, ending in verse chapter, 20, or chapter 21, uh, the whole idea and what we're really hoping and what I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes over and over again to see in these final chapters and the works and the words of Jesus, uh, his way, that his way is the way of relationship. That his way is the way of relationship over religion. It's the way of relationship that we were created for. It's the way of redemption and restoration that our hearts long for. It's the way of real life and real joy and real hope and real peace that we all desire and they all come from a relationship with Jesus, that, that he is our hope, that he is our peace and our joy. And as today as we work through uh, John chapter 18, if you're going to, if you turn there, we'll work through uh, most of that chapter. We'll kind of, there, there's a part of it that we're going to skip and then kind of come back to in a couple weeks uh, as, as we kind of look at Peter's denial. We'll come back to it as, as in the uh, chapter 21, we'll kind of loop back to that and, and kind of compare some things. But most of the chapter we'll cover this morning. And uh, as I was preparing, one of the, it, it kind of hit me. One of the key characteristics throughout history, one of those key characteristics when, you've, when, when people have defined great leaders. If you look through and read books about great leaders, one of those key characteristics of, of great leaders are individuals, men and women, who, who, are, who are able to keep calm under pressure. That are able to kind of, when, when everything kind of goes to, goes to chaos or goes to trouble, that they operate with, with an ability to kind of keep level and they handle those tough moments. They operate well under the pressure. And some of you have experienced this, right? I, I, you know, it, you've, you've experienced and you've watched 
leaders who maybe have crumbled under that pressure. There's something disconcerting and troubling, unsettling when you're under a leader and the leader just kind of falls under the pressure and the when they struggle to stay calm, that maybe when the temperature rises, they don't remain cool, right? And the opposite is true when somebody does rise, right? The comfort that comes when somebody is able to, when a leader that you have some, for some reason are under, maybe it's a boss or, or different, different leaders in, in large capacities or small capacities, when they're able to handle those tough moments, you've experienced that kind of like relax, like, hey, I know, I know this guy, this lady that's leading in this moment, they've got me. I don't have to worry about it. I've experienced it personally uh, with a handful of the, the people that I've been led by, particular leader that, I'm, that I think about. It just, there was just nothing ever rattled him, and, and it just kind of seemed like there was always a steady. It always had control of the circumstances. And the team that I lead have told me that, um, that I'm not like that at all, uh, that um, when I curl up in the fetal position in my office, it doesn't spark uh, the... Um, the kind of uh, joy and, and, and peace that we all long for. So I'm working on it, uh, seeing a counselor for that. Um, but Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher, teacher, says this. He says, there is no other attribute of God, no, no teaching, no truth, no doctrine, more comforting than God's sovereignty. There's no other attribute of God, no, no other teaching, truth, no other doctrine that is more comforting to the believer, to the Christian, than God's sovereignty. That God is sovereign over all things at all times, in all places, in all events, in all of history past, the seemingly chaotic present, in all of the cloudy future. That there's nothing more precious than the reality that the God of creation that we sing about this morning, that we worship, that we gather here on a week-to-week basis to to worship and to pray to and to learn about that he is sovereignly in control of all things, that he never loses his cool under pressure. That there's never a moment when, the, when, when it gets too big for God, when he's caught off guard. And so John chapter 18 is one of the things that, that, that we want to kind of focus in on as, as Jesus continues in his mission uh, towards the cross. And, and, and what we see is it kind of catapults him and, and everything shifts in the beginning of John 18 and catapults him towards the cross. And, and in these early, at this point in John 18, we're in the early pre-dawn hours of Friday morning. And by nightfall, Jesus, his lifeless body will be taken from the cross and put in a tomb. And a large stone will be rolled. And just throughout the crazy hours, the gardener will be arrested for trial and he will be put on the fake mock trial that he would be put on moments where people would abandon him and people would mock him and spit on him, there's not a moment that he is not sovereign. There's not a moment that he is not sovereignly in control of every detail of what was going on that day. Jesus was not a victim of the cross. He volunteered for the cross. That was his permission to do so. Let's pray together before we dive in this beautiful passage this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs that we are able to sing and to look and to worship. We thank you for this place that we're getting gathered at. Thank you for Riverside and the kindness that you've been endured towards us. We're able to have just a year and a half of almost two years of being gathered together as a body of people. We thank you for that and we pray that you would help us pour yourself into this place as we look towards meeting with the new president and the blessing of staff and 
God, in the details between now and then and all the other details that are coming for us. Let us be reminded that you are sovereign in all things. And even as we turn to this text, where it does seem like things are just so out of whack and we're looking at the reality, we're looking at the So if you have your worship guides, uh, if you, you want to follow along in, in taking notes, there's kind of three main points that we're going to work through. And the first one is this, that Jesus' Jesus's way is voluntary. And right now I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, last week I, I mentioned that um, it's a sickness that I have to have the, the, all the, the blanks fill out in the same letter. Uh, it's reached disease uh, proportions this week. Y'all can't imagine what, uh, what these, the, I mean, there aren't three B words in the world, but I found them, uh, so we're going to go for it. Uh, so first is voluntary, that Jesus' way is voluntary. He's not a victim of the cross. He volunteered for it. You see, he's in this Passover meal. It's over. He's taught the disciples all the things that he needed to teach them. Last week, remember, it said that he, everything that he came to do, he finished. He told God that, and, and he prayed for them. And, and, and so they've left the upper room, and they're moving from the kid, they're moving down through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the place where Judas, who's working with the Pharisees, who's one of Jesus' disciples, who's the one that's going to betray him. He knows that this is where Jesus goes on a regular basis if you look through the other Gospels. And it tells us that Judas knows that this is where he's going. It's a place that Jesus has gone to before. And so he knows this is where he's going to go. And so he's, he's planning, he's working, he's divine, this master plan to betray Jesus. But Jesus is in control of all of what's happening. Remember in, in chapter 14, if you go back to John chapter 14, which we'll read in our daily steps in the coming weeks. I think we got through chapter 9 this week. I can't honestly remember uh, what, what I read. Let's see, what is this, chapter 9? Yeah, we got through chapter 9 this week. There we go. Uh, so we're, we're coming up on chapter 14. It says that um, John chapter 14 says this, that I've told you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, I've told you now before it happened. He's telling them all the things that are going to happen. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of the world is coming. No one has hold over me, but he's come so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded. Come now, let us believe. And so Judas thinks that he's about to catch Jesus in, in this moment and devising this plan. Ju Judas thinks that he's going to get that. But when Jesus gets up from the table and he leaves the upper room with the disciples, he doesn't leave that place uh, because he wants a change of scenery. He has an appointment. The reason why he came, the mission that he was on, he's got to go to that place where he's going to meet the, the person that's going to betray him. He knows exactly what's happened. He steps in with full knowledge, full, knowing full well of what's about to happen to him, and he's fully in control. Look at verse verse five, verse 4. It says this, that Jesus, when these, it says this great crowd, in, in verses 1 through 3, it tells us that, that Judas leads this, this army or, or, or this band of soldiers, is what it says in the ESV, that, that he leads them into. In verse 4, it says that Jesus, knowing that all was going to happen to him, he steps back. It's, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, really, if you think about 
the fact that Jesus steps forward to this, this group of soldiers that come out to, to get him. And in all three of the Gospels, it, it tells us that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And this is where it just, that John doesn't say that that's where he's at, but this is what kind of consensus is that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane there where he's prayed and, and he's, he's asked the Lord. It tells us in Luke that Luke records it says that, Father, he says, he's cr- Jesus crying out says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. It's the mission that he's on. And the angels from heaven appeared to him and they strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly. And sweat was, was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so he wrestled in the garden there before this moment, before this band of soldiers come out to him. He's wrestled with what was about to happen. He's asked the Lord, would you let this cup pass from him? There's sweat dripping from his brow that turns to blood. I mean, it's a severe moment. Truly, if this would have been me, I would have passed out long before this, especially if I saw blood dripping from my face. Like I'm passed out. I mean, fetal position, you remember that a second ago? Like we, I know none of you have had that. But Christ was comforted by these angels. Angels certainly could have taken him. They could have rescued him from this moment and brought him back to be with the Father in heaven. But they left him there and Jesus voluntarily goes to his death. I mean, think about what's about to happen. He, he steps in. He steps forward. He voluntarily steps in. What, what, obviously, he's already been betrayed by one of the men who's been with him for the past three years. He'd be arrested by these, by these Jewish leaders that bring this Roman guard in. He would be held, go to a bogus trial at the high priest's house as the father-in-law of the high priest. And then at the high priest, Peter would disown him three times before the night, before the rooster crows. And that just brings us to the sunrise of Friday morning. Daybreak, there's a little back and forth between the Roman leadership as they bring in Pontius Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pontius Pilate as these two have their little, their little back and forth. And, 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 and then Pilate declares Jesus is innocent and tries to free him, but they, they give him a choice between Barabbas and, and Jesus, and the crowd calls for Barabbas to free, to free him, this criminal. They call to crucify Jesus. And then he washes his hands of it and he hands him over to the Roman guards who would beat him and mock him and spit on him and crown him with thorns. And then they would walk him outside of the city to a place called Golgotha, place him between two thieves, common criminals. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, a spotless lamb between two criminals and there's no one fit to handle him. The most horrendous torture device that man has ever essentially suffer for his death. And that was his death. He steps forward not just because of these things, knowing full well that these things would happen. What was, what was, the, what was the worst part, the, the, the major part, the, the weighty part is that Jesus steps forward to voluntarily take on the sins of the world. Jesus suffered the penalty that you and I deserve for the sin he would endure God's full anger towards sin, that he would, that God would lay his punishment on, on his son rather than laying it on you and I, that he would, he would take that on us and on himself. And Jesus, this spotless lamb would become sin for us, that he would, he, the one that had never told a lie, who had, who had never cheated, who had never lusted, he would suffer the death of a filthy liar and cheater and pervert. There was, and this all, he, all of this he knew and voluntarily joy that was set before him because it was 
the missionary work to redeem and restore us to the relationship that we were created for with the Father. For all of this, Jesus volunteered And if you think about this, this is not really good television, right? Some of you remember the white Bronco that, do, that dominated the, the, the TV a, a long time ago now, right? 30 years ago. Like if you don't know what the white Bronco is, we'll talk about that later. I'll show you in the video. Some of you have watched cops. I don't know if that's still on or live PD. It doesn't make for good television when the, when the person that the cops are looking for actually steps out and is like, here I am. Like, nobody's watching that. There's nobody covering the, on, on Channel 5 when the, when the person that they're looking for just steps out and is like, yeah, I was going to, you know, run. But it's way easier. Just put the cuffs on. No, they only cover it when they run. But Jesus doesn't run. He steps out and he says, I'm volunteering for this. He says, who are you looking for? Who is it that you want? And he responds, I'm the one. He volunteers and exactly, knowing exactly what will happen doesn't run and the reason why is because he's a missionary and then stepping forward leads to death that's verse 17 but Jesus is the last of the the zeros in in our vocabulary there's a third one but that's not it the Jesus way leads to victory the scene doesn't feel like victory though if you if you're honest if we're honest with ourselves the scene doesn't feel like victory you if you ask Peter who's trying to who's trying to take on a bunch of Roman soldiers with a dagger and fumbles his attempts by cutting off the ear of one of those soldiers it doesn't it, you're going to have a hard time convincing Peter that they're winning you're going to have a hard time convincing people that there was a spectator in the garden just kind of taking this all in nobody's reporting back to the the, the channel 5 news in Jerusalem saying hey listen I think Jesus is winning this battle in the garden I think everybody realizes if you look at this from that point that it looks like Jesus is losing. You fast forward just to, to verse 12 where the soldiers have bound Jesus, they've arrested him, and they're taking him off to this fake, this fake trial with the Pharisees and the religious people. It looks like they've, they've orchestrated all this, that one of Jesus' own guys has, has sold him for 30 pieces of silver, essentially $600. Doesn't sound like a tale of victory. Doesn't seem like anybody's going to write any songs going to sing on a Sunday morning in some church in Columbia, Ohio. They're looking at this, this band of soldiers that are called to come in. In the original language, it would say, most scholars would say that this was somewhere between 200 and 600 soldiers. And you got to think, the whole town is full of people because it's Passover. And truly, if you go back to some of the, some other passages, the Pharisees had already basically decided that they were not going to come and get Jesus at this point. It would cause too much havoc in the city with all these people there. They didn't know how it would all work out. But, but remember who's in control. It's not them who's in control. Jesus is forcing their hand. Because this is exactly the message that the missionary wants. And with the city full, you've got to know that with people, these, these soldiers and these Pharisees, as they, the, the religious leaders, as they walk into the, into the garden with 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 torches and weapons as they come in you've got to know that people are watching 
that it's causing some kind of stir in the city. And you think about this, you know, think about this Roman guard, these, these Roman soldiers, you know, just reality, history. These are not people to be messed with. I mean, these men are part of a, a group of men who have, who have literally conquered all the known world at this point. And it's this group of 200 to 600 soldiers that the Pharisees have decided that they need to bring with them to get, to get Jesus out of the garden. Just one guy. They're going to arrest one fella. And they bring 600, upwards of 600 soldiers. You think, why do they need to bring such a big group of guys, a big group of guys to do this? And, and the reality is, you know, these religious leaders who have had a lot of interaction with Jesus realize that they probably needed some backup from some previous, previous moments that they spent with Jesus. Twice Jesus is by himself enters the temple, and that's no small feat. Twice he's flipped over tables and said, you, you get out of here because my, my father's house is going to be a place of prayer, not a place for you to make money. When, when he got mad at the religious leaders, two times he's cleared their whole building. Like think about going to the Galleria down in, in Cool Springs right now and just one dude. Now obviously we know I'm not going to be the one that does this, right? Because fetal position in the market. But, you know, Ethan, he's a, he's a jack dude. Just imagine Ethan going in. If you didn't know, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. He was the one that did the welcome earlier. Can you imagine him just walking in and just by himself, just clearing the whole building? No, but Jesus does that. He clears the whole thing. Twice. A couple of times they've had these interactions where Jesus has made their lawyers. They're they're smart guys. Paul is one of these guys later on. They're guys that are the brains of the outfit. He's made them look like fools when they've engaged in arguments with him. Multiple times, at least twice, they've, they've wanted to stone him or arrest him, these, these Pharisees, as he's come against them. And twice, at least twice, he's walked right through them and nobody's touched him because it wasn't his time. And so they're thinking, all right, we want to arrest this dude. We've got this guy who's going to betray him. We know where he's going to be. Let's go get him. But we need backup. And so they go get a whole slew of soldiers. And they think that they'll arrest him recognize what the other people that are there are asking that they think that these guys could do anything to them that Jesus would not give of himself for them let's just let's just bypass him clearing the temple and him walking through them and making them look like fools on a couple of occasions let's just go back to the old testament do you know how many times God cleared nations before his people without them so much as drawing Do you know how many times, if you go back, to the, go back to the Old Testament, Jesus tore down the walls of one of the greatest fortified cities in the world without his people ever drawing a sword. They just marched around and yelled, and the walls fell down. Jesus, or, or God, taking his people out of the captivity of the greatest army of the, on the face of the earth at the time, the Egyptians leading them through a, a, a sea on dry ground. And then as soon as his people get on the other side of the sea, he swallows that whole army, the greatest army in the world, up in the very same sea that he just raised the people out of. Jesus didn't want to give himself for them. He stained his soul in his blood. But it's interesting what happens in verse 5 and 6. It says that Jesus Again, and Jesus replies, it says, I am he. When he's asked who, who you're looking for, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he, Jesus said, 
And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. John doesn't record the, the whole kiss, but Luke and the other guys do. And it doesn't, it doesn't change the whole story. It just doesn't record it there. In verse 6 it says, And when Jesus says, I am he, they drew back and they fell on their faces. Now, this band of Roman soldiers, the baddest dudes on the face of the earth, fell on the ground. And Jesus stepped forward and said, I'm the one you're looking for. Now, I mean, is it because they, is it because he startled him? Did he jump out from behind a tree, right? I, 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 I can't imagine that that, I mean, were they afraid of some, some magic that he was going to do? What I believe, honestly, if I, if, if I had to guess on these things, and this is just, this is strictly a guess. You don't need to go write this down in some theological paper and say, who said this is theologically sound? I just, my guess is that this is one of those moments like in the Old Testament when Jesus shows up and these, these Christophers, Christophers, whatever the, the word, where Jesus shows up and he shows his full glory. Kind of like the, the, flame, the, the flame when Moses goes and says, you need to take off your shoes because this is holy ground. When Jesus steps up, he shows them the full weight of his glory and they can't do anything but fall on their face, which is honestly what they had to do before the king of kings, before men who in their, in their pride and their bravado think that they can conquer anything, they're standing before one Jewish man who hasn't even looked at his hands. All he's done is said, I'm the one you're looking for. Let me see it. I'm pretty sure that they could not have done slow down you'll really understand just how crazy this is how much this looks like a defeat but the reality is that God is in control Jesus is in control the whole time and that it had to be this way it had to be this way that Jesus would give himself up like a lamb being led to the slaughter remember in Isaiah chapter 53 it's prophesied that this would this is the way that it would be that he would be oppressed and afflicted he would not open his mouth. He would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. A sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It wasn't because he couldn't have done, changed it. It's because he really wanted to. He, he volunteered for it. He volunteered, a volunteering led to victory. The way leads to victory. And last, Jesus' way, and this is the, this is the, the, the word that, Jesus' way is by carrots. Jesus' way is by carrots. And it, it's not a word we use very often, right? I mean, mostly it's in the negative sense. It's talking about dads vicariously living through their sons, right? I, women, I, ladies, I don't know that you vicariously, maybe you vicariously live through your daughters. I'm not sure. Y'all are all perfect, so uh, I, I don't know how y'all mess up. But I know that I've uh, vicariously lived through my boys on, on occasion, right? But this is not the negative sense of that word. It, it really is, in the context, it's, it's very appropriate. If you realize that what this word means in, in the positive sense, listen to this, this definition. It says something that's performed, an act that's performed, exercised, received, or suffered in the place of another. Taking the place of another person or thing, acting or serving as a substitute. Jesus' way is voluntary. It leads to victory. And Jesus' way is, is 
vicarious in that he took on our sin. He took our place. In, in the positive sense of the word, he performed for us what we could not perform for ourselves. He suffered for us what we could not suffer for ourselves. And even if we had suffered, it would not have done what God did through Jesus as he stepped in and took our place. John chapter 18, verse 7 through 9, it says this. But again, he asks, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, and Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened for the word that had been spoken may be fulfilled. He did not walk through one of those doors. Jesus says, take me and let these men go. And that's just one moment, but ultimately on the cross, what he says is, take me and let them go. What should have been poured out on us was poured out on him so that what we could receive is grace rather than this, rather than this anger and, and wrath towards sin. And you think about who, these, who the they are in this passage, right? He volunteers to take their place. Who are they? And obviously it's the disciples, right? It's the, it's the 11 that are there with him who all but Peter would hide and go and abandon him in the moments after, this, after Jesus is arrested. They would all abandon him. John goes with him. It, more, more than likely, it's John who goes with him and, and is, is there with Peter. But eventually, John would abandon him. Peter would go, but he would out, out deny that he ever knew him. And that's who he stepped up and took the place of. But it wasn't just those. It was Judas who kissed him on the cheek and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. It was for this group of Pharisees and the religious leaders who had led this group of Roman soldiers into this, into this garden to take him. All of these people were the they that Jesus would go to the cross for. Even for that young man, uh, Malchus, who is the, the guy who Peter took off his ear. I mean, this guy's mentioned in the Bible, and the only thing he's mentioned for is the fact that his ear was cut off. I mean, can you imagine when you get to heaven, you're like, he's like, yeah, I'm the dude who got the ear cut off. He's like, I wish I did some other things too, right? But it wasn't just for, for Malchus, it was for all of those people. It was even for this foolish guy in verse 20, in verse 22, where it says that Jesus answered the officials there and one of the or answered the high priest there. And the official that was nearby and slapped Jesus in the face and said, is this how you answer the high priest? I mean, just think about that. Hebrews says that, that Jesus is the high priest, right, who goes to the Father for us. And, and he, I mean, this is, this is God in the flesh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in flesh. And this little knucklehead slaps the King of kings and says, is that how you talk to this high priest over here who actually, it wasn't the high priest, it was the high priest's father-in-law who was really in control of everything. For the Roman soldiers who would nail him to the cross, and for you and I, who took our place, even though we weren't worthy of it, even though we were fighting against him, that Jesus took our place on the cross vicariously. He goes to the cross on our behalf to, to suffer what we should suffer. And what does it mean for us that Jesus steps in and graciously goes to the cross for us? It means that we can rest secure and stand confident that Jesus has done the most ridiculous thing
Christ was sacrificed and that sacrifice was sufficient. When we could, we could not bring enough to wash away the stain of our sins, that Christ brought himself and became the sacrifice that, that he cleansed us from our sins. That Jesus was what we could not do it, and, and what, what it calls for us to do, what it means for us is that it calls for us to trust him. And, and what we said a second ago, just that, that quote from, from uh, Charles Spurgeon, it's, it, it reminds us that there's no truth about God that his children should more diligently fight to remind themselves of day to day than this one. God is sovereign over all things, all people, all events, all of history, past, seemingly forever, or seeming to forever, present, future, past. He can rest knowing that he is in control. He stepped forward and took our place control and maybe I, I, I think maybe just some of us need to hear that today because maybe this maybe it's a, a a personal a personal health issue or a personal issue that's going on in your life and you need to look and hear God say I'm in control listen in all time past in the, in this chaotic moment in all the clouded future I'm in control you can see it in this moment there's not a moment that's gotten too big he's on the mission that he's on and he fulfilled everything that he came to fulfill, and he'll fulfill everything in your life that he's called you to. He, he is faithful to finish the work that he started in you. And we know that he can because he finished the work that he came here to do in Scripture. Maybe it's in a relationship that you're in, and you just need to hear God say this morning that he's in control and that you can trust him. Maybe it's maybe kids, it's something, maybe it's something at school that you just need to hear Jesus say, I'm in control and you can trust me. Maybe it's some, maybe kids, maybe it's with your parents, parents, maybe it's with your kids that you need to hear Jesus say this morning that you can trust him. Maybe you're walking through depression and anxiety about the future and you need to hear Jesus say, I'm in control. There's not a some, you just need to hear this. I think it's safe to say even in the room, in this room this morning, that some, really what you need to hear is beyond the fact that God is in control and you can trust him. Is this truth that, that he's asking you, he's calling you to trust him. For some of you, you just need to be reminded that he's sovereign and that you can trust him. For some, some others in this room, you need to be, you need to hear it for the first time that he's inviting you to put your trust in him, to have a relationship. And what you've done over, over time and, and over your life is you've thought maybe if I can do, if I can just do this, then, then that'll fix it. And, and these words from this song uh, that we're not the song that we're about to sing, but a, a great hymn from Isaac Watts says this, that were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too cheap. Love so amazing, so divine, man sets soul and life on my heart. Oh, the wonderful grace, wonderful grace, give me one more of thine, I am pleaded, 
good news this morning, your victory, the victory that